Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows, a disruption of the educational status quo, hosted by Aaron Barnes. And now, Aaron Barnes! What if I say that? Yeah, sure. You don't have to be ready. (laughs) Okay, well, welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is a podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, anyone vested in the world of education, I am Erin Barnes, host of the show. Thank you very much, Sean. Uh, and today I've got Kara Jemay on the show. Did I say that right, Kara? It is Jemay. Okay. Uh, she has been with Epic for forever, but um, you've kind of got a new addition to your your clout here, right? What is the the new certification that you've got? So in, I started this in 2018, so I am a CALT, which stands for, it's real fancy, for Certified Academic Language Therapist. Um, I went through the Take Flight program at Payne Education Center, and so I'm now considered a dyslexia specialist. Excellent. Okay. And I'm going to move this around. Sorry about the movement there. Um, And so... I guess, give us a little backstory. How long have you been in education? And then what brought you to Epic Charter School? So this is year number 22 in education. And so it's 2022, so it's the only way I can keep track. Um, This is my seventh year at Epic. So I went and got through my educational journey, uh, spent a lot of time in second grade. Um, That led me to getting special ed certification just in the classroom and seeing kids that needed help and they just needed more instruction, more time, more exposures, and you don't have time to do that in a brick and mortar classroom many times. So that led me to my journey to get um, certified in special education. And I, before that, I applied at Epic, um, but did not get a response. But once I got my special ed certification, that kind of really raised my, raised my value, which obviously is, is, a, is a needed area across the country. Um, I'll give a, um, some credit to Jana Jansen. This is actually our third school together. Um, we, I started my very first year with her, and so she was like, hey, I'm at Epic, and we need to chat. That's so cool. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's what brought me to, um, that's what brought me to Epic. And then, um, you know, we all went through the whole pandemic and that's kind of what led me into my current role of a special education principal. But in that time, um, I also went through, um, Payne Education Center to go through the Take Flight program. It's a very intensive two-year program, um, to be, a um, a Celt. So um, I've got, I guess, kind of all of those things going right now. So I'm working hard advocating for special education students, for students with dyslexia, struggling readers. That's where my heart is. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. Um, Just broadly, what is dyslexia? So dyslexia is a neurological language-based disorder. Um, it is, it is brain-based, um, many times it can be, um, hereditary, uh, that's definitely a characteristic to look at if you have family members, 
Um, you know, we there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about dyslexia. I'm sure we'll we'll kind of talk about some of those. Um, but it's it's basically a language based deficit that affects reading. It affects spelling, um, which of course then affects everything. Everything. <laughs> And so you and I kind of were breaking some of this down before we ever started recording, like when I first asked you to be on the show. Um, I didn't know I was dyslexic until I was 39 years old. <laughs> you know, it just seems odd. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I knew my weaknesses long before then, obviously. I just didn't have anything to put it on. I was labeled as LD in school. And so during math and reading, I was sent down to a resource classroom with a bunch of kids that did not look like me. They did not speak like me. They did not act like me. Um, it was a real hang up for me. Uh, but there was something going on, obviously. And, and back then, I don't, I don't think anybody knew what dyslexia was really. Um, or if, if they did, it, it wasn't what it is now. Um, okay, so Oklahoma passed a dyslexia screening bill this year. Can you, like, and, and you're not a legislator, so world, she is not a legislator, okay. Um, what was the bill designed to do? And then what doesn't it do? Because I think that, I think that there will be a lot of misconceptions now that schools are required to blah, 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 dyslexia. That's all people hear sometimes, you know. Um, what, what does it do and then what doesn't it do? So I think the intent behind it is great, as is a lot of legislation. Um, the intent is to identify early um, students that may be at, at risk for characteristics of dyslexia. So one thing it does not do is it does not dis diagnose dyslexia. That is a whole battery of assessments. But I think it's a good starting point to identify kids that may be at risk for some of those characteristics. Um, and then the next step would be kind of like, now what? Now what are we gonna do with this information? And so I think with the screener that we have, it will really help us identify some of those specific areas. Um, because when you've got a nice classic kid with dyslexia, and you're a great example of this, they, it is a, um, you have a normal to above normal IQ, so it's not an intellectual issue. We have lots of students that, just like you did, compensated in many ways. They're very bright. Um, so I think it's finding some of those deficits and being able to work on those specifically while they are doing well in many areas. There are some definitely some things that are that are hindering them. Yeah. Richard Branson is a classic uh, dyslexic who's an entrepreneur, brilliant guy. I'm taking his master class right now. Do you know what master class is? Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. So I've got the subscription to master class. I'm kind of a dork when it comes to continuing education. Um, but he said yesterday that dyslexics, he said yesterday, I watched it yesterday. He said that dyslexics are classic um, delegators and not in the negative sense. Like you hear delegation and it's like, I don't want to do it. So I'm going to assign it. Um, we are not afraid to work. We're not afraid to get in and get our hands dirty and everything else, but we know where our weaknesses are. So we can delegate to, and, and we surround ourselves with people who are smarter than us in these other areas uh, that we know are, are capable. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, yes. Like when, when I'm hiring for my team, 
I need someone who can spell check and proof me. I do not write. I write exactly like I speak. And so um, Grammarly is all the time giving me long blue lines, uh, which say your sentence structure is kind of wonky here. Do you want to change it? And I want to be like, well, no, that's how I, sp how I speak. But I guess it would be hard to read. Uh, and side note, I am writing a book right now. <laughs> And in the, like the first paragraph, I say basically, like if you're a grammarian, go to the counter and get your money back because you will hate this book. Um, but several people have said, no, you've got to write it like that. That is the, the, the way to do it. Um, I just, um, I think it's important what you said, you know, sometimes they have an at or above IQ. Uh, my kiddo, it was me finding out I was dyslexic was because we were finding out that she was dyslexic. Uh, um, she was in gifted and talented from pre-K through second grade, okay? In third grade, and we were doing math tests back then, in third grade, she went from the 99th percentile to the like 30 or 40th percentile. And we're like, ooh, okay, that was crazy. Why on earth? And then the next year in the fourth grade, she was in the teens. And then in the fifth grade, when all of this kind of came out, she was in single digits in that math testing. And, and every year, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, she was given remediation to do because, you know, if you're scoring low, we need to fill those holes. We need to fill the gaps, right? The remediation was killing her. She's also a slow processor, which we found out, and that's fine. Um, and so I, I called just kind of at my wits end here. I was like, listen, you're remediating the crap out of her, which is fine, but it's more work. That's all it is to her is more work. She is hating school by the second. What up? And and they were like, you know what? Let's look at this thing. And we did. And it's just, it's not like it's a pass to get away with things. Like I don't let her get away with murder, um, but we just do it differently now. Um, and so I want to talk about some of the interventions for dyslexia. And I, and I know it's going to be as personalized as Epic does education. But what are some of the bigger interventions you've seen or um, strategies you've seen to help uh, once a kiddo has been officially diagnosed or even um, uh, toying with the label of dyslexia? So I think a, a lot of that is going to come down to the um, correct instruction. And I grew up in the whole language world. Um, I went to school, when I went to college, it was all whole language. So I didn't know phonics or phonics rules until I started teaching them. Yes. Um, and so there's a lot of talk about the science of reading, um, specifically we will call it structured literacy. And that's kind of the, 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 the gold standard. The Orton-Gillingham is kind of that gold standard. Um, we have some teachers trained. There are also some great homeschool programs that families can do at home um, that follow this as well. So I would say that obviously instruction and having that appropriate instruction is the most ideal way to go about this. We also have some um, other things that we are adding to sort of our epic repertoire that are also great. Like we're adding Lexia Core 5 this year. Um, that is Orton Gillingham based. Mind Play is also Orton Gillingham based, but are that computer based. And, and again, with all of our students at Epic and with every kid that's different and individualized, we're going to have kids on, on kind of a broad range of severe dyslexic to maybe they just need some additional instruction. Yeah. Because honestly, 
spending so much time really teaching second grade, I think about the students, because I didn't have this training in brick and mortar, the students that walked through my classroom that I did my best with, but I didn't have some of these tools. Um, you know, kind of going back to most of the sharks on Shark Tank have dyslexia. Yes. We are starting to kind of talk about it more. Um, it is now um, a hashtag on LinkedIn, dyslexic thinking. And you can put that because they are the out-of-the-box thinker. Um, because they've had to compensate and find different ways to um, get the information because reading it isn't going to do it. Um, you know, when you talked about your daughter, one of the big differences right there at that third grade is that map quit reading it to her. That's exactly right. <laughs> that is exactly right. Listening comprehension is going to be higher. Um, speaking or language is very natural. Reading is not a natural skill. You, we will have a percentage of kids, and you will put them in a box, and they will just teach themselves to read. Yeah. We all know our friends with a two-year-old that knows how to read. Um, but we have kids that, that need a little bit more than need a little bit more than that. So. So it's funny. Um, I've been reading the names at graduation for the last couple of years, and last year, uh, last school year no so it would have been the school year before all these mm -hmm. kids kept coming to me and they were they handed me their cards because somebody somewhere decided write your name phonetically so that they know how to sound it out and I was just like I need you to just say your name for me because <laughs> I can't read this I don't know what these things do or what this means it was so hard for me so this last school year I was like please do not ask them to write their names phonetically I've got it we're all good um, anyway, so I, I think that that is funny. And it's, it, you said the speaking skills just a second ago. And I remembered, um, in fifth grade, my daughter had a podcast and I told Tamara that I was like, listen, she's got teachers because it was called navigating fifth grade. And she would just kind of like decompress her day. It was, uh, we called it multimodal, you know, listening and speaking skills and the multimodal presentation, uh, for English. And, um, and so she had teachers from across the nation. I remember this gal from Denton, Texas, um, sent a, a comment to her like, whoa, I am hearing from you in ways that I would love to hear from my fifth graders. I never thought about it like that. And I was thinking, gosh, if you are changing adults' minds with your speaking skills, you're not, why are you getting fives on your math test, you know? And it, it turns out, yes, she's probably twice exceptional, which uh, once once Tamara gave me the information, I just started diving in. And girl, it's like, um, have you ever seen that pool um, that you can dive into? I think it's in Europe somewhere where there's a mall under there. And so you can like swim the mall. That's where dyslexia is. <laughs> You dive into what looks like a pool and then you keep going down and it's like this three level with all these stores mall under there that you can scuba in. And I just thought that's dyslexia right there because I would read one website and then another website would pop up and then another website would pop up. And I just thought this is super cool. Super cool. Um, let's see what else did we do. We did video making, um, podcasting, oh, presentation. So um, I used to present Google tools, right? 
And I thought it was just super cool that Google was so easy to use that kids could do it, right? And so I would present to these adults by showing them what the kids were doing. And so I would have my kiddos do some research. They would, um, their first three slides were their own research. And even though it gave them the squiggly line, they were not allowed to click on it and change it, right? So then they copied and pasted those three slides to a three, three more slides, and they were allowed to change it on those last three slides. But I just thought it was super um, important for the to see what kind of spelling they were doing. It was uh, helpful for me as a teacher, but then also like they could create these refined presentations and really get their point across. And while I was teaching, you know, adults how to use Google, I was teaching these kids like how to correct, how to modify, how to um, use what they had in their brain. And I just thought that that was super, super awesome. What are some of the other maybe strategies? Uh, so I've heard you talk, uh, the Orton, um, say it again. It's Orton Gillingham. Gillingham. Thank yeah. you. Um, and, uh, what are, what are, I don't know, are there specific fonts that are better? I know, um, teaching textbooks is written in a font that is set up for dyslexic kiddos. Uh, and now there's an app you can buy that puts everything on your screen. And I don't remember what the process is. You probably do where like some of the letters are capitalized and some are not, and some are bolded and some are not so that it helps them see the whole word versus skipping the word. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. You know, I think there's the dyslexia font out there, and I do think that that could be helpful for some. I don't think it's just across the board. That's just sure. what a dyslexic person should use. Um, you know, I think there's discussions about the color overlays. Okay. There's really not any research behind whether that works or not. Um, you know, I think text-to-speech is a huge one because of that listening comprehension piece. And you're kind of taking out the mechanics of reading, so then their brain is freed up just to intake that information. Um, speech to text is another one. So for kids like you or your daughter that can speak well and present well, but when it comes down to typing and having to think about the mechanics of what I'm gonna say, how I'm gonna spell it, writing conventions, that's a, that's a load on the brain. Yeah. Um, another strategy that there's a lot of research behind is cursive. Okay, that it's good are, or not? It is good. Okay. There are, so that is part of the Take Flight program. So anytime I you know, talk to a family or talk to teachers about um, some of those strategies, I encourage cursive. For what it's um, worth, I see the, the sign on the wall behind you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes. I wrote it down. I was like, look into cursive sign for your office. <laughs> yeah. um, there are no reversals in cursive. Okay, so, yes. Um, it's also, as they become automatic, it's that left to right sweep. It puts natural breaks in between words. And as kids get more automatic with it, and the automaticity increases, it decreases the load on the brain of what do I write? How do I form this letter? Um, one of the ways I sometimes will describe things is there's a, there's a great graphic out there that shows a chair. So it shows, shows a chair just regular. It shows it backwards. It shows it sideways. It shows it upside down. It's still a chair. Mm. But if you equate that to a B, a D, a P, and a Q, Not that same. is a chair that is in different, it's just a letter in different positions. Um, so it kind of takes some of that, the, that reversal piece out. And another way that I usually will describe it is 
kids may have this information in their brain and they don't file it in the right spot. So elaborate on that. What do you mean? So when you put, you know, you put your keys down, where did I put my keys? They're supposed to be in the basket on the counter, but they're not. They might be in my pocket. They might be in my purse. They might be here. They might be there. You know, you have keys. You just can't find them. So sometimes when kids, they know they have letter sound correspondence, but they're not putting it in the right spot. So when they go to retrieve it in their brain, it's not there. Okay. So they have to go check this part of the brain and this part of the brain, this part of the brain. So when you're reading with your child and you know they know that sound and you're feeling frustrated because it's like, you know the sound. Well, they do. They just didn't file it in the right spot in their brain. So they're having to go hunt for it. Wow. You may go produce it, but then what happens to comprehension when we have to go letter chasing? Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, comprehension's off the window. It's too much work to just go find, where's my letters and where did I put them? Now, we're doing a lot of letter talking and word talking, uh, but I told you on the phone, we didn't know about this until... It was math that it was identified with my kiddo. And so um, she would, the problem would be like 69 times 73. And she might write 96 times 73. And she'd do the math and it was right. And then she'd go and enter it into the non-subjective computer, which says, no, that is not the correct answer. And and it was so frustrating because I would, uh, you know, I got to her, I was like, let me check your work before you enter it because you know, let's not get these quizzes wrong that have to be reset all the time. Uh, that doesn't look good either. <laughs> like, how many times do you need this reset? And I was like, nope, the math is right. Good, go enter it. And she would either enter it, she, she would have either written the problem down wrong or she goes to enter it and she transposes the numbers, even though the answer is 196. That's not the answer to the, the question I gave you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she would type in 169 and um, it, is so frustrating. We probably did double the math that year than any other kid because of the transposing of numbers. Um, so how often does this rear its head in numbers? Yeah, I think one of the first things parents see is they're transposing. And so I think that is, that can be, I think it usually shows up in reading. Uh-huh. Um, but again, and your daughter may be a great example of this. She's bright enough that there's a lot of compensating going on. Yeah, probably. And so I think that's why sometimes kids aren't identified till later um, because they've done a great job and they've just managed. So now this screening bill, and you've got a good point there, it's a K through two or K through three screening bill? Uh-huh, K to three. So what happens when kids have compensated and you don't find it until fifth grade? Because that was the problem we ran into, Kara. Um, Testing to get a dyslexia diagnosis is like $1,500. There's no insurance that covers it. Uh, You can go through like um, RTI and getting identified in schools, but a lot of times, unless they've got someone like you and they don't, you know, always, there's no um, diagnosis that comes along. And I don't even know if we can diagnose at all because like you said, that's a whole whole other battery of tests. so what happens when we identify it later? And, and are there still options or do they just go through that RTI process? Which is murder, just so you know, for a kiddo who is bright, but dyslexic. Right, and I will tell you that RTI piece in brick and mortar is 
part of my journey to special education. Okay. Because like this isn't, I don't love this for some kids. No. It's, no. Um, so when I did, uh, when I was actually doing the reading therapy, the students that I did it with were upper elementary and middle school. So I think once you start to gain this knowledge, what you find is there are a lot of kids that need this. Yeah. That were not identified earlier. Um, and so I, you know, some of that is just as we talk about it more, as we get more education out there and as we get more teachers trained, then we are able to do that. I, you know, you kind of get, for lack of a better term, more bang for your buck is that early intervention. Sure. Because once the students are older, they've compensated. So it, it will take longer to kind of make some of those gains um, than you will with a, with a younger student who maybe doesn't have some of those things so set, those compensations so set into place. So I, when I was going through school, got um, uh, elementary certified and uh, middle school. Uh, whenever I went the principal route, mostly because I don't like hugs or snot, right? Like I, I wanted to stay away from the little, <laughs> the little bitties, uh, if we're just being honest. Um, at a certain point, aren't the, the backwards letter writing and transposing just age? I mean, and at what point do you, you want to do you not say, well, it, you're four, let's give it some time, or you're five, let's give it some time to, hmm, this is something else I should should clue in on? So I think most reversals are, can be pretty developmentally appropriate, probably up, up to second grade. Okay. I think once it's the third, fourth, fifth, that's that becomes a red flag. Um, you know, there are ways, there are characteristics that can be identified, you know, very early on um, for for some of those characteristics of dyslexia, um, so that maybe we aren't saying, well, let's just wait until they're older. Let's, you know, they're a little immature. Let's just wait and see if they develop. So to some extent that it is developmentally appropriate and developmentally okay. Um, so that's why sometimes I will say, let's move to cursive and see if, it, if that gets corrected. Wow. Um, and sometimes that is one of the things to look at. So just because someone reverse, does reversals doesn't mean they have dyslexia. Um, I think that, you know, that is one of those myths that comes, that comes with dyslexia as well. Is there, so, I mean, as we know more about the brain, right? I mean, and more and more, and every year it seems like there's more research that's being done about the brain. Um, is there a type that is more dyslexic than another? I know, like, Danae Link and I did a whole episode on ADHD, um, and you find that like 50%, I think was the number of kiddos with ADHD also have dyslexia or some other learning impairment. Um, is there a type, are, are creative people more dyslexic, are more logically minded, left brain, right brain? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Is there a type of kid who's more prone to dyslexia? Or do we know um, that yet? <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that. You know, I think when you look at like with the sharks on Shark Tank, you know, they're very um, creative and innovative. Yeah. So we think that brain tends to lend itself uh, to that a lot. I will say there's a lot of comorbidities. So I think that kids, dyslexia can be um, kind of 
discounted a little bit because of, oh, it's ADHD. Right. So I think with kids with dyslexia, you will find other comorbidities that have been diagnosed as well. But just with the twice exceptional, you know, they may be special ed and have dyslexia, but they may be gifted and talented and, and everything else in between. Yeah, for sure. What, what have we not talked about on dyslexia that you'd like to bring up right now? Or have we kind of um, touched it all? I know. I, you know, I think there's just a lot of the myths out there. So I think it's just more getting the, the, the education out there. Um, I think, you know, one of the pieces that I don't know that we've touched on, on much, um, is the, the emotional piece of it. Ooh, talk to me about it. it. It's a lot of failure mm. and educational setting for students with dyslexia. Yes. So when, we are moving from learning to read in that, you know, pre-K to maybe second, third grade. And that didn't go well. Yes. Then we move into fourth grade and it's reading for understanding. And we don't know how to read, so we don't understand. Um, so we have kids that are spending years in education, continuing to feel like, I should be able to do this and I can't Yes. or giving up and just saying, Oh, that's not something I can do. So you've got kids that when you first start to work with them are very, very hesitant to take any risks. And it's very much a building of relationships and some of it. And when I talk to teachers that are trained, some of the wins that we share are those intangibles. It's not a data point. It is this kid wants to read. This kid is begging for these books now. Um, this kid is happy. And I think that is the piece that, so when I continue to advocate, I talk about, it's not only changing this kid so he can read. You are changing the trajectory of this kid's life. And sometimes you're changing the trajectory of this family. You triggered me. <laughs> so I think that's the piece that we don't that we that we don't talk about enough, and it's real. It's and so, so real. I remember sitting at the end of the dinner table because that's where we did schoolwork growing up, and and I didn't get it in class, and of course I didn't write enough notes. Um, but we'd sit at the end of the dinner table, and and I. I mean, and my parents, like, I can't imagine how frustrated I actually can because I've now been a parent on this side. And I, I feel like I was doing some of the same tactics for a while until I figured out some other stuff. But um, just tears, like, just tears littering my paper because I just didn't get it. Uh, and it would drive me absolutely bonkers to do. I mean, I started cheating. I, I cheated from seventh grade on. And somebody busted me in my 12th grade year. I was six months into my 12th grade year. And they said, you know, we're going to need you to come back for geometry and algebra two next year. And I quit. I'm a high school dropout care. I don't know if you know that. Um, I know most of my listeners know that because I've said it a million times, but just so many tears uh, because I didn't get it. And, and I've got um, about 15 minutes of video of Tatum that I won't delete. And we were doing 
we were working with, um, adding and subtracting fractions and just the tears on her face. But by the end, it smiles and she's happy and she figured it out and she figured out the plan and she's, you know, said it in her, in her head so many times that it became like a chant almost, you know, so she was able to work through the formula of the chant and, and it changed everything. Um, and now I, I write music to standards all the time for students, but for her, you know, I just, man, you, you really hit me hard talking about the emotional piece because it was, I mean, it was hell. It was hell doing schoolwork in middle school. Middle school mm -hmm. was the worst. I mean, middle school is the worst for everybody anyway, but. <laughs> so much more going on. You know, and I think it's the lows are real, real low, but the highs are real, real high. And I think that's why when teachers come to me and they, you can tell they have this passion and they've got that kid on their brain, that they're like, what do we do? You know, that's the first things that they share. Yeah. Is the emotional wins. Then we start talking about, because they will say, listen, when we look at the star data, they didn't make a whole lot of on star. But here's some other things that they did. And they did make some growth on star. It may not, you know, it may not be significant or it may still show as red, you know, whatever that may be. But the first step I think is, is those successes and those wins for these kids. And I think that's the snowball that keeps going. I, then you can work with them. Then they're, they're, they're open to taking those risks again. Yeah. I thank you so much for coming on the show, even if you did make me cry. Um, I told you yesterday, and the name of the, the title of this episode is Dyslexic Not Dumb. I par I, part of me wants to like put the colon and everything accurate, like I said, um, but it was basically um, how I had to unlearn everything so that I could start learning. Um, I, I just, I appreciate you being on the show so much. Um, Yes, of course. Um, all right. Well, that is all the time we have. Tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world. <laughs>